0: This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 195. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton.
1: And I'm LaRamayasha. And today, we are continuing our journey, Wandering's true, Nagata Kabi's works, by talking about her latest book, My Wandering Warrior Existence, once again, when returning is Eric, founder of Akazu and YuriCon, Yuri Scholar Tastemaker, and she has an upcoming book coming out on the history of Yuri Manga, By Your Side, a 100 Years of Yuri Manga on Anime. And it is just such a delight to continue talking about Kabi's works with her as we discuss her latest book and what it represents as a change in direction for her in terms of how she chooses to write these books and the messages she's trying to communicate through these books. We see a more self-conscious direction from Nagata Kabi in terms of what she wants to communicate to her art, and we have a really fantastic conversation about the book, about the breakthroughs Kabi's make, about what she's trying to explore and trying to communicate with us, and even as he gets into, once again, uncomfortable territory oftentimes, very dark territory sometimes, we find Kabi using these examples for a reason in a way that is just really appreciable, and it leaves us in a really great place with her work. So it's really great to have Eric on again to talk about version of her, especially to see the development of her as an artist and storyteller with this latest book, and it makes us incredibly excited for what types of art she will con- try and create in the future as well. But yeah, really, really great conversation we had that we're excited for you to listen to.
0: For sure. Um, Just to put it out there in case uh, you guys might not have listened to the last episode, we did release our previous discussion of her previous book, My Alcoholic Escape From Reality, that we originally recorded for our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks as a bonus episode of our podcast. And so yeah, basically, if you haven't listened to that discussion, you really should. That was the previous episode of our podcast. And I think we brought it up in that discussion because we also brought it up during this discussion where Erica actually told us in our discussion of My Alcoholic Escape from Reality uh, sort of ahead of time kind of what to expect with this book and, uh, you know, uh, I think... So Nagana Kappi does share in this story
1: her experience of being sexually assaulted as a child and in the timestamps you will see... The point in which we talk about that it is about 25 minutes into the conversation so you know trigger warning content warning for that part of the conversation if you want to avoid that you can look in the the timestamps to find where you know you can skip ahead to avoid that and yes it is a very you know again very descriptive part of the book that you know it's can be very tough to read. I will say that, you know, as we talk about it, Copy includes it for a reason, and we talk about the reason for why it's included. But if that, you know, is just too much and you you don't want to hear about it, you know, again, that's in the timestamps uh, for you to be able to navigate forward past that and continue with the
0: rest of the podcast. Mm-hmm. That's also very important, but I was actually also going to bring up how... Because I think talking about My Alcoholic Escape from Reality on our Patreon in particular, because I think our plan originally was just to kind of keep basically Nagata Kabi's like subsequent works after My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness as sort of like a patron bonus episodes. You know, like, basically, as we've kind of gotten to this point, it doesn't really make sense to put those behind a paywall anymore, especially considering how harrowing her works can be and but more
1: importantly know. i think they're just such great
0: conversations that
1: i would like to just share them publicly the original reason we did these as bonus pods was because originally we did a follow-up on my brother's husband that we were did it as bonus pod and i got the day well i would like to revisit Kobe's work in my solo exchange diary and if we're going to do the my brother's husband thing as a bonus pod we can do Kobe's thing as a bonus pod too and then when My Alcohol Escape came up, I was like, oh, I'd like to talk about this book. I mean, did solo exchange as well as pod. We could continue the series as that. But, you know, I, again, I think these conversations have been really fantastic. I would definitely love for more people to listen to them. And yes, I mean, content-wise, the stories, you know, they deal with a lot of difficult subject matter. So that's another reason to share these publicly. But, yeah, absolutely, you know. Uh, that's I think why we're taking this change in direction. That's kind of why we originally had the the reason they were done as bonus pods, and then now we're sharing them publicly because there's a lot to say about our works. We want to talk about them? We got want a lot of people to listen to these. And yeah, like you know the content. So it's something that we're not necessarily comfortable just keeping these as Patreon episodes behind. You know the. Like tiered paywall, we want these more to be out there because they talk about a lot of subject matter, and also they're stories that are meant for you know Kobe to communicate to her readers, you know, these positive messages to have takeaways. And I think that our podcast should also be open for people to listen to our conversations on these, so they can also appreciate those takeaways in a broader capacity.
0: No, for sure. And just personally speaking, like the more I thought about it, the more I thought like. I don't know if I feel comfortable, like, putting these stories in particular behind a paywall. I, like, I do agree. Th- these should be these should be shared with the public because that is what Kabi uh, has intended for these works. So, you know, it just didn't really make sense at this point to keep them behind a paywall. We're basically just going to... Anytime we cover another one of Copy's, like, autobiographical works in particular, we're pretty much just going to make that public and not just... Put it behind the paywall anymore. You know, it, it just didn't make sense anymore. So I think that's what we're going to do moving forward.
1: Indeed. But we have wandered around the point of the conversation <laughs> for a few minutes now. So I think it's time to finally get to the reason why this podcast exists. And that's our conversation on Nagata Kabi's My Wandering Warrior Existence. That's- nagata kabi has explored her struggles with her mental health and her physical health but as we come into her fifth book when wondering resistance we see her face a new hurdle that she has love joining us once again to discuss the work of nagata and her newest book is erica freeman Founder of Okazu and Yuri Khan, and author of the upcoming book on the history of Yuri Manga by Your Side, The First Hundred
2: Years of Yuri Manga and Anime. Erica, thank you once again to coming on the show to talk Kabi with us. Thank you so much for having me once again. I love talking with you too. Awesome. As do
1: we. And especially Kabi with your perspective on her work and her what she is doing for autobiographical manga. And just, you know, made more manga comics in general. And this is an interesting new... It's not a new direction, but to me the book is interesting as a step in her oeuvre in an interesting way. Compared to like her previous books. I feel like through the story here we see kind of like a more confident copy from the outside. In terms of what she's doing in her self-reflection. Whereas, like, the previous books, it felt to me like it was very much, you know, she was figuring it out. She was telling the story as it was coming to her, and it just ended up culminating into inclusion. With this story, I almost feel like she had, from the outset, some idea of where she wanted to go with it. And I think that's very interesting. And also, because a lot of her previous stories, I feel, are so based on, like... You know, recounting specific events. I feel here she uses kind of, you know, the initial inciting incident of the wedding photo shoot in the bridal gown. It's kind of a starting out point to explore these ideas, these history and the struggle she has with, you know, understanding love between her her, understanding relations, how to connect with other people.
3: And I just found that
1: very, very interesting.
2: I would agree entirely. We you know, we know from her original book that it was not really meant as a book in any meaningful sense. It was a diary. It was literally her writing on Pixiv, like, hey, this stuff is going on. And then the last book we had a whole section about her really struggling with the idea of do I have the right to be talking about myself like this? Is this kind of work valuable or interesting? Now, on the one hand, she knows that people responded to that work very, very strongly and positively. Like, yes, I'm glad somebody's talking about it, particularly uh, issues with family and depression and issues with um, eating disorders. But to have her validate her own work was a humongous step. And I think that this book is the beneficiary of that. This is the first time where she is approaching this as a valid, meaningful, narrative from the get-go not like i don't know what i'm doing i just want to talk somewhere about it here you're listening to it is it okay but here's my story and i'm going deeper and to more difficult area in a lot of ways the early stuff was very difficult because she didn't have language to talk about it and the people reading it often were told you cannot talk about stuff like this we don't want to hear about your mental health we don't want to hear about your physical issues. And that's true for a lot of folks who have mental health issues, who have who are disabled, who have chronic health issues, who are neurodivergent. All of us have issues with people wanting to even hear about it more than once. Like they, you know, I say I have MS. Everyone goes, "That's nice, boom." But then, can I talk about how that actually affects my memory and my health? No, because nobody really has time for that. So this is the first time, post her last book where she's given herself the right to write this narrative without questioning herself. And so she's approached it completely differently, and I agree 100% that she used the wedding as a jumping-off point to tell a story that she wanted to tell anyway the way she wanted to tell it. And I agree there's a lot more confidence, and the structure of the story is much different, and I think we'll get into that when we get towards talking about the various pieces of the story.
1: Absolutely. I do really feel that Kabi, you know, compared to especially Lesbian Experience and Solo Extinction Shark, which felt like it was written in the moment, every chapter, I feel like with this book, like Kabi had an idea. She came into the story with a thesis in mind, with a message she wanted to communicate with her readers, and she was confident in her ability to use her experiences to kind of illustrate her own journey in navigating, like, her feelings on the relationships. From the perspective of already having the epiphany and the self-reflection. As opposed to two previous books where she was figuring it out as she went yep. along.
2: Yep, I agree totally. Yeah.
1: Well, before we get into, like, the specific beats of the book and Cobby's journey. I just wanted to start with, like you know, your initial first impressions on reading the book when it came out in Japanese, because Holden and I, you know, we just read the book for the first time like this week didn't prep for the mm-hmm. podcast, you know. yeah, This is one of the more timely uh, episodes we're recording in terms of when a book has come out and we're talking about it uh, same weekend of the English release, but you know, you've been able to sit with the story for, you know, more than a year and what were your impressions reading it the first time and now impressions reading it Uh, Again, in English.
2: My impression was uh, primarily, as I said, that she had an idea and was working on it specifically, but also that the pacing was much more deliberate.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: That she started off with this jumping off point and then went to talk about things that she wanted to talk about and then did something important. And I want to talk about that when we get to the piece um, in the middle there um, about her past. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't want to jump into that immediately. But I feel like the pacing was so deliberate. And when you got to the end, the way the end of this book leaves you is so specific. She sat down clearly with her editor and said, we're going to do this thing now. We're going to have a journey. This is, you know, your hero's journey, right? Mm -hmm. There's a a jumping off point and, you know, and the wedding functions as the Mm psychopomp. So she goes into that and then goes deeper and deeper and hits Nader and comes out and comes out and at the end she makes a point of talking about what the challenges and triumphs were. And that is something we have not seen. She's left us in the past feeling worried about her Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that I don't worry about her every day, but I feel like there are a lot of things that happened here in between this book and the last book. You know, she did a um, a live talk with the folks at TCAF that's, that was on YouTube for a while, and it, it had to be pulled two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And it was, a I mean, given what we know of her, which is almost nothing, it was just based on the books, and we know really nothing about the woman herself, it was an incredibly brave moment, right? She right. goes out to talk about all this stuff, to random strangers on the internet, you know, um, to let us hear about what she has to say about her work. And Jocelyn Allen did a really great moderation of that. And it was really eye-opening. I mean, you could see she was really nervous at the beginning, but by the end, she kind of calmed down. And I feel like every time we see her delve into herself, she comes out a little bit more confident. And I'm changing it. It's not, in fact, the hero's journey. It's Inanna's journey. She is going into the underworld every time, each time she sheds a little bit so that she can become the truest self she is. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful And I feel like way. this book is the culmination of that.
1: Yeah, totally. I think you're so money of that. Like When I did watch the DCAP panel uh, when it was streamed those years ago, and yeah, I was like pleasantly surprised that Kabi seemed a lot more confident and... And then I was expecting based on the manga. And also, like, you know, it takes an incredible amount of bravery to put yourself out there, uh, in oh, yeah. public, you know, to Yeah. You know, just to do that live stream. And also takes a lot of bravery and courage to, you know, be vulnerable and put out, you know, very personal stuff about yourself in your stories. And before yeah. like Habi was doing it and she didn't necessarily think about a lot about like oh like a lot of other people are going to read this and connect with this and then oh like my parents will eventually uh, discover me this and that gave her a little bit of anxiety uh, in her second soul exchange and she had to navigate that and that culminated in alcohol escape and her realizing hey yeah it's valid for me to tell my story and then here we see her you know purposefully sharing these anecdotes with intent with a reason to build up to this thesis she has. And also, from the perspective of being in the place of, like, having made peace with a lot of the things she's discussing in terms of, like, this struggle she's had with understanding love and relationships. Like, by the time we get to the end of the book, we see that Kabi has learned and is trying to practice lessons of self-love, taking care of herself, and feels like a lot more confident in knowing like what she wants even though you know she can't she's not necessarily is able to completely go out and start forming connections with other people she comes to a place of like self-satisfaction with herself so she doesn't mm-hmm. fret about it as much and yeah. it's just nice to have the book end at the note where like hobbies like, anxieties over this have mostly been worked on by her and she is like Taking mental care of herself and being kind to herself, and also I just like you know the final like post chapter that's not really connected to the rest of the narrative, but we just see her like talk about her hobby she is doing,
2: like taking care of that to me was such a key moment because again, folks who have um, a lot of mental health issues often don't have space for that. Yeah, and that's physical health too. I should say health general. People with health issues don't often have space for things like hobbies. They're navigating life. Life is it. That's the work, and having the time and the energy, the mental energy to do something just for fun is a tremendous benefit. But not everybody has the ability to do that. And that was really good. But again, that was such a very visible editorial narrative decision mm-hmm. because she had in earlier works often left us with a concern for her well-being and this one was like yeah. oh hey thanks for walking with through this with me now i'm going to tell you i'm doing okay now. yeah so don't worry so much about me and and i feel like that was such a specific decision to make people feel less bad when they were done with the book right and i don't know. If that's more true than the other books, but it lends us to believe that because like at the end of Solo Shang, sorry, first one, you know, we had this feeling like maybe she was developing a relationship. And the next one was like, Oh, wait, no, that didn't happen. And then people were worried about her at the end of my alcoholic escape from reality. People were like, Oh gosh, I'm really worried about her. Like, <laughs> is she going to be okay? And, uh, and then this, and this is a very intense book. And so right. I feel like this was extremely specifically designed to leave us in a place that is less dark on purpose to make sure that we do not leave here feeling like you know is this woman going to be okay we we feel this yeah, time yeah. she will be or we hope that she will be definitely
1: I do think that its inclusion was meant to reassure the readers that she's
2: doing fine and I think yeah, or at least doing better, doing better and finding better. space right know? and
1: that she's you know Has a healthier mindset of realizing, hey, I don't need to, like, my value of my life and myself isn't just dependent on my work and having hobbies, just things that make me happy is, like, important without these hobbies you know what don't happen is outside of work you know life can be really hard it can feel like exhausting yeah. meaningless yeah and so yeah it's so wonderful to see her like find hobbies like things she's passionate about besides manga, in terms of being gross, and learning like ukulele and yeah. It's, yeah.
3: Again,
1: it's, it, it doesn't ha-
2: it doesn't have it doesn't have capitalist value <laughs> yeah hobbies no. don't have capitalist value right they don't make you money they don't benefit you know, some organization, therefore they're a waste of time. Right. But they're right. not, of course, they're super critical. I want to also say that the bit where she says she's in love with a brand new giant refrigerator, <laughs> I read that I had just recently gotten a giant refrigerator. <laughs> so I was so into that scene. Like she's going to, I'm like, I wasn't looking around. People were coming over going, I'm like, look at our giant new refrigerator. <laughs> we had this really, had a, a refrigerator that was almost as old as I was. Previous to that. So now with this brand new giant refrigerator. And so I I totally felt that down to my bones. Also, in the scene where she's talking about the dating app, the day I read that, I had had a situation, nothing to do with dating apps particularly, but it was one of those situations where the initial setup of something was relatively easy, but then I could not make myself do the next step. And it was just too many steps, and my brain just broke. And then I'm sitting there at night reading her discussion of how this was okay, but then I couldn't. was really concerned about this and can't do this. I totally felt that down to my bones. Yeah. No. I was really sympathizing with the those hurdles that you are are they're just so theoretical, but the moment you hit them you know that they're there.
1: Right, mm-hmm. like it's just mentally exhausting. Yeah, I read that in uh, your review. I was going to ask about but yeah, no, totally. Like, that was such a great visualization of, like, hey, you know, when you break something down into steps, like, they're the things at the beginning, they can feel easy to do, but then you eventually hit that wall, or suddenly it feels just so much harder. When, yeah. like, it can feel different from person to person, but, like, it, it, there's just at some point, there's just some task that's giving you big anxiety. That you just yeah. are like afraid to do, go to the next step doing. And I think that was such a great visualization of like, hey, here's all the steps of the process of like finding a date through the dating app. And Kavi's good, like, through like the first half of the steps, but then immediately when it comes to liking someone on the app, that she hits a wall. And then everything yep. else from there is also just something that she just finds impossible. It's, like, it's you
2: know what it is? It comes down to, with hers, I think it was very clear that the. It's about risk. Yeah, you know when you fill out a form and you're filling out a profile and doing that kind of stuff. There's no risk in it, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And there's there's a very minor risk in even looking at to see who's responding, of course. And and that can be difficult, as she found um, with people liking her more the worse her profile got, yeah. which is so real. And then, but then when you start having to respond, there's more emotional risk.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: No, totally. And that's actually really a critical concept. Um, I'm, when I do my any workflow of any kind, I break everything down into teeny weeny little chunks, these micro chunks, so that I can chunk my work. So I do this piece and then this piece. But at some point in time, you have to do the piece that's going to be emotionally risky, like proofreading my book, which is going to be emotionally risky because I'm literally looking for errors in everything I do, which is an emotionally risky decision right because you don't want to keep telling yourself wow that bit but you do you have to do it and i have other people doing it too so that makes it even more emotionally risky so the bottom line is that it's very relatable on my day-to-day life to know that even though i'm not using a dating app per se although my wife would be very surprised if i was <laughs> um that i understand this concept that you hit a moment where the risk becomes too high and you just cannot
1: yeah no totally it is just incredibly a relatable like just kind of description just kind of visualization of like yeah like you can make these these plans like there are things that these are two other things that you're just not that like you said don't worry this It's things that you're not like personally investing yourself into as much it's just things that you can do without second thought but when you have to like finally put like put that effort, essentially like kind of invest emotion into it uh, that's when it becomes scary and like for Kabi like that thing that is scary is interacting with another person uh, like like trusting in another person and especially like yeah. someone she doesn't know at first like she has like just right. that anxiety like she doesn't even look at the messages she gets and like she also is struggling with just such a negative self image of herself she's like oh well someone can't possibly like me with all the problems I have and when people do like her she's like, oh, I gotta make my profile worse so they know just how bad a person I am and she keeps
2: right, which obviously worse doesn't and worse. help because there's no. a sort of person who does that, right, who goes after that yeah, right. you know what, even folks that I know who are not necessarily have low self-esteem they find dating apps really stressful in that very <clears> way and I have a, I have a friend I had a friend, she, she passed last year that, who made her profile very strange She basically told the absolute truth about herself, which is also something you don't do on dating apps, right? Mm -hmm. And as a result, got a lot of really odd people who either read into what she said in a way that wasn't what she intended or decided that she was a challenge or wanted to break her or whatever. The bottom line was that she just made her profile the brutal truth about life and found much the same kind of thing and uh, also did not have a great deal of luck uh, with the people who responded to her. So, there's a lot of different ways dating apps in general can be like that. Mm -hmm. I want to also say there's something that happened in this book, very low-key towards the end, when she's talking about the dating app section, we see her meeting with friends. And that is something that actually we have not seen much of in the previous books. One of the things that when I'm reading any manga, not non fiction not com- not uh comic essays but fiction essays, I'm very mindful of do the people in the comic have what I call society do they have neighbors and friends and the person at the post office that they see all the time and say hi to, do they have people other than the one person that they're really you know that their the relationship is the manga is about that thing or or the, or the antagonist or, or the, only themselves. And one of the things we have not seen a lot of in her books is her talking with her friends. And in this one we have two scenes where she's talking to a friend. And I yeah. want to say that is a sea change. Now again, this may be something that has been happening all along and we have not seen it. We can't make any decisions about it. We can't say oh, she's doing better because of that. She's Apparently, doing better because that's what she's of us. Yeah, I and mean, we have to always be very mindful that at the end of the day, while this is a true story, it's not a whole story.
1: Definitely, I mean, Kabi is just showing us as much of her life as she chooses to. And right. in previous books, yeah, she really did not address like any other people like in her life but in terms of friends. Besides, you know, her family. But here she brings up that, hey, there are a lot of friends who I'm using, like, as examples. So, like, here's the way in, like, they said something. Or here's an experience I have with a friend that, you know, meant something to me or got the gears from my head to try something. Yeah. And I think that is super interesting. Like, and yeah. to just have more of a sense of, like, hey, Kabi has a social circle. She has some key friends who mean a lot to her. And they are, in small ways, like, giving her, you know, the courage or giving her ideas to try something for herself. And sometimes those things don't work out, like with the wedding shoot or with the dating app. But she has people around her that she feels comfortable around. And she may always
2: have had. Yeah. And the thing is, realistically, she may always have had those people and they have not been included or maybe the people we see in this book are actually a greater, larger group that are are consolidated, we actually don't know that. Which is why I always say we don't want to make too many decisions based on what we see and assume that's real life, because even though it is true, it is not the whole story, but what we are seeing, and this is why I feel like it's a really important narrative decisions, that if we see these things, we feel, we feel as readers, better about her. Yeah. So I feel like this is very much about what we as readers, the experience we are being given. She's definitely thinking
1: about the reader. and I think the inclusion of her friends is also important to help illustrate the point that she brings up is that she understands love for friends. She understands, you know, being a friend to someone. But the barrier she has is then. What does it mean to like love someone romantically? What is that <laughs> extra barrier that I'm having with like meeting someone in the context of wanting to have a romantic relationship with them? Because as she also brings up with an example of her friend, a coworker friend, like he also once agreed with her to the sentiment of "oh, like people are scary, strangers scary," but then he had a girlfriend, and she thinks using his example is like, well, wait, that person's. Girlfriend was once a stranger to him as well. Right. So right. she is using like her friends, the people in her life as like examples to help illustrate that. Idea. Like, hey, like she has a self awareness that she is capable of forming like friendships, forming relationships with other people in that context. But if the specific problem she's having is like romantic relationships, rem- relationships of like romantic love, and why mm-hmm. that is scary to her. And she's trying to navigate like what exactly is that wall uh, that separation right. between the two
2: and then that brings us to the sexual assault scene um, which
1: yeah so content warning ahead of time trigger warning uh, it is a variable thing in the book Kabi, uh herself like brings up a content warning and has a designation of where to skip in the books it's, it's very descriptive um and she doesn't hold anything back uh and there's there's a lot to say about just in terms of how uh it makes the reader feel reading it. for i i did have to step away from the book reading it because it was just making it was just so upsetting it was just maybe it did make me cry just the the horrible incident that happened to her uh and what she suffered under it. And then it made me angry uh, at how people... Reacted to it, the people in her life who you know supposedly meant to look after her reacted to it. I mean, her mother did okay with comforting her and taking her, but then later that same day when the doorbell rang, she just told her to get the door. So, but that's one thing. But the 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 big thing is the police and the school, like the police saying don't go anywhere, stranger. The school, like, like re-traumatizing her by like telling everyone in the class, and that followed her until for the rest of her elementary school all the way through sixth grade. And actually described she was object of curiosity, just how horrifying, just how exhausting, yeah. just
2: constantly. You want to go dig them out and like beat them up. I mean it's horrible. Y- yeah. yeah, just to be uh, it's, just, it's so appalling.
0: <sighs> yeah.
2: It's um, just so infuriating. So, yeah. But I'm sorry, Cole.
0: No, I was no I was just gonna say, yeah, that was definitely the most shocking but like uh, like I I you know w- when we talked about um my alcoholic escape from reality, you know, you you kind of told us ahead of time when we had you on Erica, like what was coming. And so yeah. I, I, I knew about that going in and I knew that was going to come up at some point, but like, I wasn't really ready for like how descriptive it was going to be. Like, I wasn't really ready for like, I, I thought I was braced, but I was, I was not braced enough for like what she was going to get into. So like, I, like, Lum, I kind of had to, I had to kind of take a minute to step back. Cause like, you know, that, that that was genuinely really upsetting to read and, like, really, like, really shocking. Like, I just, I just, it, it felt so out of left field, even though, like, I knew, even though I knew what was coming.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. just, it's visually very intense, the way she draws herself as a child and how she reacts in the moment. Like, she doesn't show her facial reaction during the moment of the assault, but, like, seeing, like, the panel where, like, the sound, the the text of her screaming Wow, yeah. uh, she's like crying these deer bubbles uh, into this pink black abyss. It's just, it's just, it's a very intense image. Yes, it her is. running home, her cowering in fear, hearing the doorbell. It just makes me so. Yeah, I I, I can't well, even imagine and the thing what it was is, like This is that.
2: something that I think that I can't stress enough that. Authorities do re-traumatize victims of yeah. any yeah. yeah. all the time. This is not unusual. It is not surprising. It's enraging, as it is with anybody I have ever known um, and myself. It's enraging that you cannot trust the adults around you. It's, it's enraging that, um, I mean, at this point, it should not be surprising that the police are useless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I think we can all agree that we have gone past that there's no police authority in the world that is trustworthy mm-hmm. yeah, so we can safely say that um but the fact that schools are so much part of the revictimization process is neither surprising nor shocking, but still and always enraging, so that was not surprising to me. I did also yeah. have to step back from it um when I read the the first time, mm-hmm. but I want to say this about it. It was not the point. No, it wasn't. Right? It was not the point of it. It was there to illustrate something important Mm -hmm. that she was talking about. And I think that that is the most, that's the thing I want to talk about is when I read narrative that includes sexual assault, so much of it is sort of a fridging sort of situation like, oh, this woman, when it's written by men, it's almost always like, you know, oh, this woman was raped, therefore I Thomas have to, blah, blah, blah. me feel as a man. Right, exactly, which is insane. Um, yeah. But the important point here is that she was telling you something, so you understood the next sentence, which right. was, I, as a sexual assault a person, a child who was sexual assaulted, have a weird relationship with relationship with relationships and with human relationships and with trust, but here's the important point this is the thing that made this so important and why I thought it was good that it was here and she then goes, "But I know other people have been sexually assaulted and they can make human relationships and that was the separate question mm-hmm. yeah. why can I not when they may be able to which leads into the letter she got from one of her fans explaining how human relationships works, yeah, which was incredibly touching, incredibly meaningful.
1: it was super a well articulated letter, but no, just in to go back to her use of the story, just to illustrate this point is this goes back to what we were talking about, like hobby. Like, having very intentional purpose of, like, the message she was trying to communicate. Like, she uses this story as an example. I went through this horrifying experience that, you know, was very traumatizing. And I thought that this could be a reason why, you know, I can't date, form relations with people. But, yeah, she uses this as an example to show, well, I went through this. But even though I went through it, I know so other people have gone through this. But they are able to form relationships, so just because I went through this this doesn't mean that I'm incapable of forming relationships myself. Right. There's just some there's another piece here that I'm missing in terms of like how I process and understand these relationships that I'm trying to figure out. And that's what the letter helps clarify. It's like the struggle she has an understanding like what why she's putting these hurdles in front of herself. Uh, right. and what the difference between different forms of love is that she had struggled to Navigate, that as the letter also brings up in the case of, you know, relationship, you know, short-lived relationship with the person she met in Soul Exchange Diary, you know, she she had this idea of love as, like, something, you know, kind of instant, something that you, like, really get, but as the letter describes, you know, love uh, is something that takes time. It can take... It takes work. Yeah, it takes work. It, it takes a back and forth between people. Like, when someone comes to you with love, you know, you spend the time with them, It the feelings bounce back until, like, mutual affection forms. And there are many different ways, like, love can start. An interaction that's meaningful, the relationship that's meaningful can begin. So it gets Kabi to think of it in a different way. And I like the use of, the metaphor of using, like, you know, a plant growing. Like, a relationship as, like, you know... Romantic feelings is like seeds that are kinda of nurtured that are growing over time until they blossom the flower. And I think that's a that as a visual yeah, also like how that turn ties into her taking care of plants at the epilogue. But like I just you know, I think that this letter and the way Cobb is able to communicate, hey, here are like different ideas of how to grow up, how to nurture relationships and what to keep in mind in terms of like, you know, form a relationship with someone else.
2: And the point that I f- felt very strongly about all of that, and that was all very good, and you're absolutely right, a hundred percent. But what I think is so important about that is she's presenting it. Oh, I am figuring these things out, and as she is doing that, she is going to help some reader, yeah, figure yeah. it out. That was again one of those choices where she's like clearly saying, "Oh, here I am figuring it out out loud with you as you read it," and so maybe if this confused you. It will help you as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, the story felt it's building up to the description of this letter to these conclusions. Yep. And again, go going writing the story was, you know, from the mindset of, "Hey, I went through this. I had this block, and now, thanks, you know, to a lot of self-reflection in this letter, I am kind of learning like a different way of thinking about relationships with other people." And how to move forward, and I want to write this story to help other people who may feel similar to me, having you know pre-existing knowledge that a lot of people relate to her work and maybe in similar situations to her. So I yes. thought that was just you know so like powerful and striking
2: and then yeah. and then she modulates it again. So this is why I feel like this entire book is so incredibly interesting and intentional. She then goes into not forming relationships with other people. But with herself. Right. She took that. I understand how this works now. And the first and most important person that I have to form a relationship with is me. Yeah.
1: And yeah.
2: She takes that time and goes, all the things that she's been telling herself that she's not worthy. And I know so many people for whom I think that will be a revelation. Because I know so, so many people who tell me, you know, well, the voice in their head tells them they're not worthy. I'm thinking, it's not a voice in your head. It was probably your family, your school, and all the people around you, and your mother, and your father, and your parents, and you know, your grandparents. All these people around you have been telling you that for decades. And here you are, 30 years old and neurotic, and you can't figure out why. Here's why. Because you've been told you're not worthy of having a good relationship with yourself. So, Tommy the Goddess says, I also felt that way, and now... Now that I feel like I understand how relationships have to work, which is I have to spend time with somebody and have experiences with them, she goes and spends time and has experiences with her own self. Yeah. So critical a concept, right? Hmm. So empowering. No, totally. First, love yourself. First, like yourself. Like to be with yourself. Like to do things for yourself. And then, then, once you have established that you yourself is a good person to be around, then you can look to other people.
1: Yeah, no, it's very just satisfying and very hopeful to see, like, Kabi at the end of the story, you know, especially, you know, in the beginning of the story, we're seeing these examples of Kabi having a negative self-image of herself, like, really, like, undervaluing and treating herself harshly for not being able to do things, you know, with the dating app example. Even just when thinking about herself, uh, you know, in the assault sort of saying, Oh, maybe I was just stupid or maybe the police been out of point and stuff like that. But by the thing by here at the conclusion of like reading the letter, she realizes with her relationship to herself that, Hey, if I were to treat another person the way I treat myself, yep. that would be abusive. Yeah. She recognizes that, Hey, you know, if I punish myself, order myself around like that. And if I did that to another person, you know, that, would be uh, incredibly damaging. It, that's not what I want to do to myself. That's not as I do to someone else. So yeah, she takes care of herself and she thinks, starts to think positively of herself. Like with the miso soup example, it's like she makes points to herself well, like saying hey i made this for myself i made it tasty for myself i allowed myself to eat it and i ate it you know she
2: and enjoyed it right yeah exactly. right you and know all, and this is this is such important behavioral therapy right yeah this is yeah. this is how we build a healthy self-esteem from what apparently is nothing there's a lot of other points that we skipped though i want to say that uh, with relationships she get we a good glimpse of the fact that her parents were a were never really right I want to say they were not unhealthy relationship, but they didn't really maybe right. like each other
1: or, yeah, there was an no arranged marriage there. and she had you know mentioned like in her earlier books how strange she felt her parents relationship was that she wasn't in a yes. loving household and eventually he realized she like didn't completely understand but she, like it is true uh it seemed like from growing up that you know she had a skewed perception of like relationships between couples that they were unhappy that the such thing as like romantic love was just a fairy tale thing but then of course you know as she grows into adulthood she's starting to realize hey actually these songs like this Judy and Mary song is based on real emotions like there's examples on twitter of people sharing their happy stories about being in love with another person and she realizes no this is out there uh, I yep. just had limited experiences from the examples in Example. my life growing up.
2: When I, rem- I remember when I was growing up in the 70s and divorce was becoming a lot more common because it was in the early 70s. And I remember the day when I realized that in my elementary school, more kids in the class had divorced parents than not. And that was the first time I had ever seen it. And it was in the newspapers that year that, that, that people were becoming divorced. And the big thing on television was, well, my parents were divorced, so I can't trust other people. But you know, that didn't happen. That's (laughs) not what ever happened. But maybe if that's all you saw was this kind of weird dynamic, and then you have this really you know, you have this experience that makes you not trust, yeah, it can happen. It absolutely can happen. That if the only thing you've ever seen is non healthy relationships, not healthy loving relationships, then yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Um, so I, I feel like, yes, I feel very strongly that this whole book was so organized with very, very specific points that were made to guide readers. Because back in the day when she wrote that first book, people were writing her own texts and going, oh, my God, I'm so glad you talked about this. And because she was talking about her own uh, experiences and her own health, I think maybe she wanted to reach back out to people in this one. Yeah. And I feel like this book. Is going to touch a lot more people if if you didn't if you didn't feel like my alcohol escape reality was was relatable because that's not your experience. I feel like she touches on things that are much more universal experiences. Again,
3: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. I mean, I can just speak from my own experience that honestly, a lot of what Kabi is discussing in this book, in terms of like her hurdles that she feels in foreign relations with other people. Uh, The anxiety she feels with trying to pursue relationships or use, like, even the thought of using these dating apps. uh, All of this, this stuff, like, is stuff that, you know, I have thought in my own head. And so reading this book, and honestly, recently, so reading this book was like, oh, these are things that I have thought to myself and about myself visualized. And that's the same is also true for the message in the letter is also something that, you know, I had self-awareness of and the conclusions copy draws, But just the things that, you know, Kabi communicates in sports through the book, like, yeah, they are very, very relatable for someone who is like in this mindset and is in this situation where they find it very difficult to try and navigate and open up to other people. Because of like previous instances of trauma or just like negative self-image of themselves, and so Mm -hmm. yeah, I just I found the book a very cathartic read in that way to Mm -hmm. to watch Kabi like kind of navigate these feelings in herself and reach a place of like self-acceptance of herself, and then Mm -hmm. decide to hey, I want to work on my own happiness now that I know like what I I need to do, and I'm confident in like what how I would go pursuing a relationship when i'm ready i want to first just work on myself treating myself better making myself happier and mm-hmm. that and she finds a, a point of satisfaction in that to the point where at the end of it like she's feeling like hey you know i i still have like this this desire but i'm not like as worried or as anxious about this anymore and i think that's right. just very nice to just have this sort of someone who's gone through these experiences who have thought these feelings that I think are a lot of people have struggled with and to come out of it and reassuring readers, hey, you know, I went through this and, you know, I came to a place of self acceptance and, you know, maybe this advice maybe the the example of my story and then the conclusions I drew and, you know, where I fed it up will be encouraging to you and help you as you also work through these things.
2: Yeah, and I really I really want to just say that I feel this so strongly about how The fact that she goes and turns these newfound thoughts on herself and decides to work on herself first is so critical. It would have been so disappointing if the first thing she says, well, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to be a better person to find a person. And I'm like, no, because the most important person in your life should be you. Oh, yeah. Right. So I was really glad that she chose to focus on herself.
1: Yeah. Like she recognizes that her happiness, you know, is not, you know. Dependent on her relationship to another person or being in a relationship with someone else. It yep. really is just kind of feeling confident in herself and happy about herself and like yes. how she lives her life. And I think that's just very nice to see Kabi come to that place of like, again, not putting herself down for the things she can't do or the things she's struggling to do. But, you know, appreciating herself for herself, and, like, pursuing things that make her happy, first and foremost.
0: Mm -hmm. I just want to go back to the subject of uh, relatability for a second. And once again, I apologize for not contributing too much to the discussion, as with a lot of our, like, discussions of Cobbie's works. You know, specifically I myself, you know, it kind of comes back to that thing where it's like, you know, I... I, I can't say I really, like, relate to a lot of her works, even though I, I do find them interesting, and I do enjoy reading them and coming back to Kabi every couple of years when she comes out with the book, but I, I will say that this is this is the one book where I felt like I could relate to this the most, where, because, again, I feel like a lot of Kabi's books, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, this is this is a, a me thing, where I, I know a lot of people get a lot out of these books, and I... I totally appreciate that. But again, it is one of those things where it's like, I don't relate to these specific events in her life. But again, I still enjoy reading her works. But uh, yeah, this time around, I definitely related to that feeling of like, you know, that sort of struggle of like, you know, trying to figure out like, what would make you happy as a person, like whether that be finding a partner, or just loving yourself more. Because I I personally definitely go through, I definitely go through a lot of these swings every once in a while where like, you know, for a period of time, I'll be like, I'm happy with myself. And I, I like the relationships I have and everything. And I'm I'm happy with myself. And I have a pretty decent self-esteem. And then there'll be other times, other periods where I'm like, man, maybe I should date more, man. It, it, it'd be kind of nice to have a partner, maybe like I, I, I kind of go back and forth with that kind of stuff. So like, I didn't relate to it. Like, again, my experiences are not copies. Copies are very, very different, obviously. But I definitely related to that feeling of like, Oh, you know, I'm happy with myself, but like sometimes I oh, I kind of wish I had a partner. That would be really cool, you know? Like so it was kind of nice to see those experiences reflected in this book in particular.
1: No, totally. And yeah, I I think generally just like the especially like the desire to want to have like a partner, a relationship is something that's even more universal beyond like, you know, if if you're struggling with your mental health or alcoholism depression or like yeah. traumas and stuff like that so like i think that kind of helps universality of the narrative is just that yeah a lot of people like are looking for love in their life and they're they're struggling on the fine and they're also struggling like well is this what i really want i think what's so great uh, about the opening you know, story about the wedding dress is that it's also illustrating the point that Kavi eventually comes through in the book is that she's thinking about like she sees in the wedding dress like, hey, this is something I want. Uh, this is something that's going to make me happy, you know, after seeing her friend and how beautiful she looked in her wedding dress. But then when she goes through the actual photo shoot, you know, she feels uncomfortable. She It's not as fun as she thought it would be. She's not feeling as good. And she realizes after the fact that what she was looking for, what she really wanted was not, like, the experience of wearing the wedding dress. What she wanted was to bask in the joyous, you know, celebratory atmosphere of the wedding ceremony. She just wanted to be in that kind of, like, really spirited environment. And so she, in pursuing one thing... That she thought would make her happy was actually ignoring like the actual thing she she really wanted or which would make is her happy. Which a very which,
2: relatable thing. Yeah. No, super, super. Lots of people do that. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. probably yeah. The, the greatest, most common story. When you when you that's, there's a TV show, say yes to the dress. That's what actually that <laughs> show is literally about. Yeah. You know, it's like we, we associate the trappings of happiness. I talk about this in other contexts, the trappings of adulthood, the trappings of happiness. Weddings are the trappings of happiness. Mm -hmm. But if you're not happy, the wedding is not a happy thing. If you are if your relationship is on the rocks and you have a child, the child having a child is not a happy thing. You cannot make the trappings the thing itself. So when you're a kid, you know, you're sixteen, seventeen years old, everybody wants to get old, drink, drive, all this stuff. Those are the trappings of adulthood. Actual adulthood means you're you're responsible for other people as well as yourself. Your decisions have consequences, and you are subject to dealing with those consequences. That's what actual adulthood is. So the trappings of adulthood is what everybody's looking for. The trappings of happiness, like weddings, mm-hmm. anniversaries, going out and taking a walk along the amotisando on Christmas Eve with your, your, your partner of some kind, those are the trappings of happiness. Yeah, But if you're actually happy, those things are not all that important. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so yeah, no, they
2: might be yeah. something you want to share with other people, but they're not the thing itself. And I feel like that's a huge message. And when she comes up front with that message, it really is very powerful. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, just the idea like, oh, these are things that, you know, we're told make us happy. Like having right. weddings, like wearing but this beautiful the, dress. But they these-
2: are the consequences of happiness. Right. Not right. Not the
1: They're the results, not the causes.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're not the causes. You know you aren't happy at a wedding. The end. Right. Yeah. Weddings where you're happy make you happy.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think she brings that, you know, home well with the other example of like thinking, Oh, you know, well now I found like some happiness but you know what about my parents should i think about having a child should they have your yeah. grandchildren make them happier and then she you know has this text conversation with her mom It was like well her mom's like well you know a friend of your father's at his guitar, you know she's a grandmother and she's not happy about it because she yeah. like the the adulation her,
3: her grandkid grandkids and her
1: food. She knows it's forced, and so it actually you know it upsets her. And then her mom is like, "Oh, you know, I think a dog would be cuter than a grandchild." So <laughs> that, it's a great thing that she also assumed like, "Oh, this this would make you know my parents said, this would make other people happy because that's the conventional wisdom. Oh, this this makes people happy." Having like kids, grandkids, but then she realized, oh, that might not be what they want. What would actually make them happy? So again, it's right. just also hammering on this point of like, and it ties yeah.
2: into the greater question that the wedding, uh, the wedding dress uh, photo shoot is about her own appreciation and understanding of her gender and sexuality. Yeah, where yeah. she's. You know, she's among so many of us. I mean, so many people, a whole generation of people are going, I don't know whether it's important to have a what I am. Yeah, I am is more important than the what. And, yeah. and, and there's, yeah. you know, the fact that there's so many folks coming out as agender, non-binary, gender X, it makes sense to me that there's a lot of folks who are going, you know, this stuff isn't isn't it's not even that it's not cut and dry which is always the case it's just isn't it even really relevant yeah you know yeah and so she was she's talking about herself going i don't really know what the answers to this is and i like that these questions don't necessarily have answers and at the end of the book she's basically saying they may not have some of these questions may not have answers yeah they might not have answers now right
1: maybe works in progress yeah,
2: Yeah. exactly. And I think that's really the, that's your most relatable thing right there is, is you as a human being, every one of us individually is a work in progress. There is no end point. We don't get a, a certificate. You know, we just get a death certificate. Like that's it. The, the journey is the thing, right? So is it important to be things to, you know, have, have definable things about us or can we just say, all right, it's, it's whatever day it is. and That's, that's where we are right now, you know? Mm. And I feel yeah. like that's where yeah. she's giving herself a lot more permission in this book to be like the things that we've been told important are not as important to my happiness as this giant fridge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, like
1: yeah, her discussion exploration of like her like unsolved feelings about like her uh, gender and sexual identity were also things that were incredibly relatable. To me, in terms of, like, yeah, just not navigate not really knowing, like, like how you want to identify or, like, how you are in terms of what you yeah. want.
2: Or it, or the question I always have is, is it really ultimately?
1: Does it matter? Yeah. but just Does it
2: matter? And it matters to us. I so mean, of course, here's the thing. Labels are important. They do two things. Yeah. I've talked yeah. about this before. It means that we can find our own group of people by labeling ourselves. And it, to some extent, it makes other people able to other us. So we know that the one is negative, but sometimes it's also useful because if you have somebody and you say, well, I label myself as this, they can say, well, I know this other group here, even can you go talk to them, they will, they will welcome you. So there is that. It's not always negative, but the answer is, I hope for a future where the labels for gender and sexuality are much less important. Yeah. I want children just, my child is my child their sexuality, their gender, will be determined in a future date <laughs> when yeah. they decide what that is. And that's, that's the world that I really hope for is when those things are not so relevant to how we identify ourselves until they become relevant to how we want to identify ourselves. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I know just the, the freedom of the fluidity of being able to present and explore your own gender is so important. But yeah, just the way Kobby was thinking about it, you know. So thinking about like, oh, I feel happy when I'm called sir, but I identify, I think of myself as a woman, but I don't want to appear feminine.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty much in that same space. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, I'm looking at that going, yeah, huh? Mm -hmm. (laughs)
1: Totally. No, I I really felt a lot of what she was talking about, and uh, yeah, no, I again, like, just the strew line of the book, like her, you know, telling. The reader, of these things just to now get it. Hey, you know, I'm also in a very questioning state in terms of like my identity, but these don't have to be hurdles uh, in my ability to form relationships with other people. It doesn't have to be hurdles towards my own happiness.
2: Right. Or how I understand me. They can be, yeah. they don't have to be hurdles. Yeah. There's the key, right? They don't have to be hurdles. They right. can be questions that I occasionally ponder, but they don't have to be hurdles to my having life and, and letting myself be happy in that life.
1: Absolutely. And, yeah, you know, just when she comes to the realization and lets all the hurdles, like, disappear, that yeah, was just such a great evocative yep. image. Like, I think that... Yeah, I
2: mean, I'm actually gonna scan in the picture of her with the refrigerator and, like, post it here because I just love the <laughs> happiness. <laughs> the, the, the joy... I know, I know we talk about, you know, things should not be what make you happy, but sometimes... A thing can be a real joy. Mm-hmm.
1: No, absolutely. Just the small pleasures of life can do so yeah. much. As she yeah. finds in that epilogue, or like yeah, just the refrigerator, just being proud of having a
2: really big,
1: or, yeah, the moss. You know, just thinking the moss is yeah,
2: such a great metaphor. Yeah, the moss is a perfect metaphor for her entire uh, narrative. Is that it's this small, overlooked little thing that is so critical to. All sorts of ecosystems, yeah. and is somehow independent of everything, but also tied into everything.
1: Yeah, and it's resilient to yeah. temperature extremes. You know, and it is so,
2: legion. There are so many kinds of mosses and lichens. I, I, yeah. I have to say, <laughs> as an aside, both my wife and I are huge moss and lichen fans. We love them. <laughs> so. Yeah, it was
1: very cute. And yeah, you're right. It's like a really good metaphor for herself as well so it's it's really sweet but yeah it's (laughs) yeah i'm looking at the panel where she's showing off the fridge now she's so proud she's just so proud when she's just like presenting the
2: expression we've never really (laughs) seen
1: from her yeah before that look yeah happy confident copy is
2: like very nice to see
0: copy's really making me want a new fridge honestly
2: Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say having a new fridge. I mean, my fridge was like 50 years old when we got rid of it. It was it was dying. <laughs> I'm so happy with this new fridge. We get, every day we say, "Wow, what a great fridge!" It's ridiculous. My mother calls me up and goes, "How's your new fridge?" I mean, it's so silly, but it's amazing.
1: Yeah, ah, uh, so I think we're in agreement that you know, Cobbies throughout this book she comes out in seemingly a better place and even more importantly, like, through the book, she wants to help encourage readers to find a better place for themselves. And I think that's just a great evolution. Like, as we mentioned before, just in looking through her books is that, you know, she really seemed to start uh, telling the story from a place of like, hey, I have a message I want to tell my readers. And I'm going to tell stories about myself in an effort to help, you know, communicate this message to other people who may have been going through the similar situation with me. And I think that's just a really nice headspace uh, for her to be at, for her to think about her work and what she wants to communicate through her work. So I really uh, appreciate and enjoy this as a step in her memoir, manga writing. And, you know, going into the book, like I I was, you know, very... I was kind of concerned because of like some of the stuff you were talking about last year when we talked about it, especially with the sexual assault story. Uh, I didn't really know what direction the book was going to go in. And while like, you know, that story is just so harrowing and upsetting, I think overall the book's message, it is meant to leave you with an optimistic, positive feeling. And it's meant to leave you also with the feeling of like, hey, you know, Nagata Kabi, you know, she is working on herself and she's working towards her own happiness. And she wants you to feel, you know, confident in that and then feel confident in yourself and your own ability to go on that journey to find your
0: own self-happiness.
1: So, yeah, I I really appreciated it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, like this was like the least harrowing, I mean, again, aside from the sexual assault story, like, th- this was probably, like, the least harrowing of her books, like, I, you know, uh, every, every time I read through her books, you know, you know, th- there's always this kind of sense of, like, I don't know what you would call it, like, it's, you know, it's, uh, sometimes, sometimes it is really hard to read about Cobby's life, because she does go to, like, really heavy places a lot of the times, and, uh, you know, I feel like with a lot of her books, that tone is kind of consistent throughout and then you kind of have like a, like a sort of hopeful little ending that like things will be okay, you know, eventually. But whereas here I felt like this was the most hopeful out of all of her books. Like it, there was like a weird sense of like finality to it, even though I know that's not the case because you never really stop learning or changing or whatever. But you know, it felt like this story came to like a natural end point. And I think that goes to, that goes to, like, what we were talking about all through this discussion. Like, this – this out of all of her books, this feels, like, the most coherent as a narrative. Like, there was, like, a a purposeful structure to this, whereas, like, I feel like yeah. a lot of her books are usually, like, sort of stream of consciousness and in the moment, like what we were saying earlier. But, yeah, the, the, this this one felt, like, the most satisfying to read narratively, which I appreciated. Yeah. I
2: mean, there's definitely – they started as a form of diary, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And this one was much, was much more structured, which means a couple of things we can do. We don't know whether or not she herself is really in a great place right now or, or things are going well. What we can say is she has an excellent editor yeah. and one she trusts implicitly, who uh, we occasionally see glimpses of, uh, glimpses of in the book and, and who makes really good decisions with her. And one that, that helps her play to her strengths as a storyteller mm-hmm. and as a mangaka And I also know that she's doing other work as well as these comic essays. But the fact that she can throw herself into the comic essay with more energy and less tentativeness is great for us as readers as well. But I definitely feel like this one was the first one that was less a diary and more a uh, a structured narrative with the reader in mind. As she says at the end, you know, she's talking and she talks to the readers a lot through through her books, and and that makes sense because where she started by talking to people in Pixiv and they were responding to her. Um, But I feel like this one makes very clear what she wants you to take away from this is that she's doing better Mm -hmm. and we should be happy for her. For sure. Absolutely. And I hope, look forward to some new work from her that if not shows the evolution of her life, then maybe, hopefully, the evolution of her work. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. I really would like to see, like, in her next book, like, it also continues this trend of, like, having you know, a positive direction for life and also, you know, positive messages to communicate to a reader. Uh, or at least, like, the intention of, like, writing down experiences with that intention of leaving the reader with. You know, have a positive message, or like, hey, here's some, like, kind of takeaways that you can apply to your own life. Or, like, you know, here's how I went through something, you know, harrowing, and then how I've come out of it. Stronger for it, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think that'd be nice. And I also, yeah, I just want to continue seeing her like uh, experiment with what kind of stories she wants to tell. You know,
2: that's it. That's what I really want. Yeah, I'm much less concerned about what I take away from it. Yeah, what I want to see is her being able to explore her own work
3: for sure, in
2: right, in different ways, and that's far more interesting to me. um And if if comic essays are the way that she does that, I'd also like to see her uh, feel freer to uh, create new fiction I'm yeah looking yeah. forward to pretty much anything she works on
1: no absolutely like i'm very interested in seeing like just what art she wants to create and she's that's create from everything. beyond. me yeah so mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think she's a very interesting artist incredibly talented and i, I really am like, just looking forward to, especially as we've tracked, you know, kind of, you know, positive developments in her life uh, through this book, like, you know, where she will choose to go next.
0: Mm hmm. But actually, uh, before we probably wrap up here soon, I, I actually wanted to ask Erica, because uh, I totally forgot she's actually doing another series right now about food. And I, I think about her eating disorder. I might I don't know yep. if I have that right or not. Yep. Have you read any of that?
2: I have read a few of the chapters that are online. I haven't had a lot of time uh, working on my book. I've kind of had to split a lot of my time through various yeah. things. But yeah, so it is. It is a discussion. It's called Gourmet to Go, mm-hmm. and uh, it is it is very much about her relationship still with food and uh, eating. So she's not done plumbing that, uh, yeah. space yet. So
3: yeah. mm-hmm.
1: from what I've heard described, it's like her talking uh, a lot of times about like the. The food she enjoys eating, but then, like, some, sometimes about like kind of more of an unhealthy relationship with food, yeah, that she enjoys. Like, a lot of it is like you know, these really enjoyable things, but they might be like you know, kind of uh, high in calorie things that she feels some sort of guilt about it,
2: yeah, which we saw a little bit of in this book yeah. where she you know punishes herself better, but also she has her pancreatitis to worry about too, so she does have to be very careful with what she eats yeah. as well. Yeah. So you have the the food disorder, the eating disorder, plus a physical unwellness that will complicate food matters for her, so. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, so there is that, too, as well. I'm sure that'll be the next one that we get. Yeah. Yeah. So looking it up on the Comic
1: Action uh, website, it feels like, it seems that there hasn't been a new chapter in uh, quite a long time. Yeah. So I I do wonder like if it's a series that'll continue or she's or, working, or on, she's something working else. on something else. Yeah,
0: yeah. but yeah, yeah. Because we were talking about you know how sort of hopeful and a little more positive this series was. I've and like as soon as we brought that up, like you know this newest series came to mind. I I just can't help but think like mm, I'm I'm not sure how what it's going to be like to, like, read her next thing, because obviously it's not available in English yet, but I'm sure it will be in the future.
3: Yeah,
2: I have no doubt it will be. Yeah, I, I don't, I've only read a few chapters, so I haven't really, um, got a lot of thoughts about it, because I, I haven't really followed it. But yeah, I mean, I figure, I figure she's going to continue doing comic essays, and we'll probably get more thoughts about her ongoing struggles, as well as hopefully some other work as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's what she's doing. It's, it is her oeuvre, and and she's made a lot of um, breakthroughs in this. Oo. She's made mental health more talk, you know, more something that more mangaka are talking about. Physical health, something that more mangaka are talking about. And so she has made strides that have changed the landscape, really. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think that's gonna. I don't think she's gonna stop doing that. Let's put it that way.
3: No, for sure. Absolutely. But yeah,
1: I think we we're left very encouraged about uh, Kabi's work and like her direction,
3: same life from this book. And
1: so I think we came out as just really enjoying the book itself in terms of, you know, the story it's telling, Mm -hmm. uh, even beyond what it represents in that step in her career. And I want to thank you again, Erica, for joining us to discuss the work of Kabi and like just this ongoing story she's sharing with us.
2: I appreciate being asked. Thanks so much. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: It's always lovely to have you on,
2: and we're looking
1: forward to having on with even more stuff in the future and all the other exciting stuff that you're doing. Which I want to give you the opportunity to just
2: walk it all. Okay. Well, I am doing a lot of stuff. First of all, I want to say, in February, I ran a translators' workshop with um, Michigan State University and. We had a roundtable of all the translators and editorial professionals and letterers that were part of the workshop, and that just went up on Yuri studio last night. So it's a, yeah. the translators' roundtable, really great, with a whole bunch of really incredibly intelligent professionals in the manga and novel and game and anime industries, talking about translation and editing and lettering for professionals. Uh, so that was really good. I am going to be at Anime Boston on uh, Memorial Day weekend, all things being equal. I mean, if there's a huge COVID uh, upswing, I'll, I'll probably cancel, mm-hmm. but I'm hoping all things being equal, I will be in Boston for um, Memorial Day weekend in Anime Boston. And they're absolute slave drivers. They're going to have me on like six oh, panels. Oh, man. So, wow. <laughs> it's outrageous. They wanted me to do five panels, and I thought, why? Who wants to be talking that much? So I'll be on six panels total uh, over three days. So you have a very high chance of seeing me and or getting sick of me. <laughs> and then in June, my book is coming out. And we will have pre-orders up hopefully uh, next late next month. Looking forward to that immensely. The team has been incredible. Has the most amazing cover. Uh, I can't even express how absolutely breathtaking the cover is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so can't wait for people to see that and uh and that'll be all of june and hopefully i'll be um doing book tours this summer again covid notwithstanding so that's what i'm up to mm-hmm. nice. and of course you can find me at okazu and on twitter as okazu yuri uh and i don't know wherever fine yuri is being up mm-hmm.
0: we'll definitely let Very people know exciting. like when that book's out and let people know where to find it when it's out
2: yeah yes absolutely my publisher is Journey Press, and they'll have a pre-order going up. And will you know, I'm going to be telling everybody in the entire <laughs> universe. <laughs> yeah,
1: excellent, excellent. And yeah, I also want to shout out that roundtable that you hosted because I listened to it on um, Friday night. I was like, yeah, that was really, really lovely. Like just a dozen like translators, editors just talking about their experiences in localization from different uh, medias. It's just really cool. But yeah, no, we're always looking forward to your stuff and we're very excited about it and once again thank you so much for coming
2: on thank you so much for having me I just, I just adore the both of you and I just really enjoy talking stuff with you so I'm glad to come on anytime well you, you know
0: like... what we adore oh. you
2: oh no, well, thank you <laughs> mutual admiration society <laughs> yay but yeah and
1: until next time that we talk about you talk about the works, uh, Kabi and all so many more things I think much like Nagata Kabi It is time for us wandering warriors to depart off and enjoy the things that we enjoy. Whether it be going off to play some guitar or just admiring our refrigerators. Once again, to Erica for joining us on the show to discuss Nagata Kabi's work. It's always a pleasure to discuss Kabi's manga with her and get her insights on Kabi's development as an artist and storyteller. And I thought we had a fantastic conversation. And looking we'll forward to our next opportunity to chat with her. If you want more thoughts on Wandering Warrior, well, let me seg us into our community shoutouts where I'll start off by sharing Erica's review for both the Japanese and English editions of Modern Warrior, where she discusses what makes the book such a powerful comic essay, and what makes it represent a triumph for Gabi as an artist, and how it explores the joy she's now found in her life and is continuing to search for. If you enjoyed Erica's takes and perspective on the book in our conversation, Definitely check out her reviews for even more structured, supplemental talks on it. And as mentioned on the show, definitely check out the MSU Japanese Pop Culture Localization Roundtable she moderated, featuring a ton of great localizers in the industry, relating their experiences and thoughts on the development and future of Japanese-English localization. As well as all the other great interviews and video essays Erica's uploading on our channel and the editorial content she's writing for Akazin. And of course, check out her upcoming book, By Your Side, The First Hundred Years of Yuri Manga Anime, which will be out. Continuing with our shoutouts, and for a more personal reflection on Wandering Warrior, check out Drop into Manga's examination of how the book explores dating with mental health, as author Tony reflects on his own experiences being in a similar boat of anxiety, trying to date, or being self-conscious about their own mental health issues and how he related to Kabi's experiences trying and struggling to use dating apps in particular right down to making a blunt and honest profile of his life on the dating app and feeling like no one could put up with his baggage. He also explores Kabi's message about finding self-love and loving oneself before others, which he really resonated and agreed with. It's a wonderfully written essay that relates his personal experiences and perspectives to Kabi's own and finds much inner story to find validation and hopes through. I also want to include Manga Machinations' recent podcast on Wandering Warrior Existence that they beat us to the punch in releasing just a few days ago. The Manga Mac crew has been doing a great series of podcasts on each of Nakata Kabi's books with the series' English translator, the wonderful Jocelyn Allen, who as always shared a great perspective on the series. As someone who had spent a lot of time thinking about how to communicate Cobby's thoughts identically to an English readership, and she touches upon the familiarity with Cobby that she brought into this particular book, having met and interpreted for her at TCAF last year. I think Jocelyn's perspective as Cobby's translator and someone who has come to understand her well, having met her and spent a lot of time with her books, is especially valuable, and it was great hearing her perspective on how Copy's storytelling confidence seems to have grown in this book. The manga-mat crew themselves offered interesting personal responses to reading the book and navigating Kabi's story and the experiences she relates. And daka in particular brought up a smart point about how Kabi's storytelling choices may part be influenced by her, unfortunately, toxic readership, which may be the reason her Meizosenshi Nagata Kabi manga hasn't been updated in over a year because of how cruel the comment section for that series was. While I didn't agree entirely with some of the crew's thoughts and takes on the book, it is still a thoughtful conversation on Kabi's work with some great perspectives, observations, and insights that I highly recommend listening to alongside ours. Moving on from the works of Kabi to other memoir manga exploring the growing pains of an artist, Estee Shamshell of Oigoi Maniacs wrote a nice review-slash-reflection of Akiko Higashimura's blank canvas that relates their own experiences attending art school and how he relates to Kashimura's own narrative of navigating that world and the struggles and regrets about her time in it, which I obviously deeply liked with and reflected upon in our previous podcast in the series. Shamsha also has a great observation of Adaka Sensei and how he represents the duality of a person from their exterior to interior, and what he appreciated about Kashimura's work as a whole in terms of depicting authentic women, and how this series inspired an interest in bouquet from him, the shoujo manga magazine that inspired Higashimura. Flying Canvas is a book that resonates a lot with me, and I really appreciated Shamshel's own thoughts and perspective on it as a fellow appreciator of her work from an art school background. Now, moving beyond memoir manga, but into two analysis of comics that explore women navigating similar themes of learning self-love, navigating relationships, and their gender identity, Old Sleep and Copy's work, I want to highlight three relatively recent articles published on Anime Feminist that I really enjoyed. The first is a piece by Skye exploring how she related with Boys and the Flowers' to heroine Tsukushi, as someone who was also expected to embrace parental roles at a young age and developed a feeling that she had to carry the burden of keeping her household afloat and that her burdens should only be kept to herself, and how she saw a kindred spirit in Sakushi as someone who was going through a similar situation of shouldering burdens and responsibilities alone without parental support, finding strength and catharsis in her results through his adaptability in overcoming her obstacles, and appreciation that her own experiences have shaped her into someone much like Sakushi, whom she considers her hero. It's a fantastic analysis of Sakushi's character from a valuable personal perspective that I really enjoyed reading. As while Bof's you know, problematic elements are often rightfully emphasized in modern reflections and analysis of the series, Sugushi really is an incredible and admirable and empathetic heroine that I'm glad to see get the praise and analysis of her character that she deserves. And next, I want to share Jesse H's analysis of the penultimate chapter of Fumi Yoshinaga's *All My Darling Daughters*, which explores how the lives of Protagonist Yukiko's childhood friends panned out after their middle school promise of being working women's strength for equality in the home and workplace, and particularly focuses on the downward spiral of Makimura, who starts as the most ardently ambitious and wanting to achieve her personal, professional success, but over the years slowly lowers the bar for herself until embracing just being a housewife. And while the story isn't necessarily uplifting, Jesse makes a great argument for why it is so valuable as a story of a woman failing to achieve success as a victim of gender inequality, because it highlights the real inequalities that stand in the way for a lot of women to achieve that personal and professional success, dealing with sexist systems and socioeconomic problems that prevent many from being able to climb the ladder and forcing them to settle for the bottom showing that there are circumstances outside of one's own control that can interfere in their ability to achieve their goals, and that for many women, their failures aren't for lack of effort, as is often narrativized, pushing the audience to check their assumptions about a person's privilege and the barriers they face, and present a sympathetic look at those who must resign to conforming to societal expectations. It was a fantastic breakdown of the story, and its importance as a narrative in illustrating the tragedies of gender inequality and contrasting it with the hope in women's success stories, and why it remains relevant and resonant as a message even 20 years later, when women's working conditions in Japan have barely improved and they still struggle with systemic sexism. The last NFM piece I wanted to highlight moves us from manga to movies with Carmen Antriazan's exploration of Bella Donna of Sadness in the context of second wave feminist work from the 70s, exploring its connections to Jules Michelet's La Sorciere that the film drew its plot from and how that book contents the philosophy of women mixed with Japanese feminist thinking of the 70s, portray the film's titular Sad Bella Dona Jean as a woman liberated and finding power in her own sexuality and desire. Carmen does a lot of fantastic analysis of the symbolism and plot of the book as placed in the context of 70s Japanese feminist movements and giving a history of the movement and the philosophies of some of its most prominent figures, namely Tanaka Mitsu, as well as dissecting the idea of Jean Blanc and theory of situation, which was also popularized in the 70s, and how Jean bucks against his idea of a female subject seeking male power because of how the society she creates is anti-patriarchal and built on the liberation from hierarchies and social and sexual norms, showing it is possible to create a better society outside of the existing model. Carmen also critiques the film from a modern perspective and queer lens to point out its heteronormative trappings and failings, but overall comes to the conclusion that the film's message is still valuable in its radical vision of a liberated society, built upon and celebrating women's sexuality and empowerment. Melodonis Anis is one of my favorite films and such a fascinating work of feminist art of its time. I really appreciated Carmen's placing the film in the context of its historical influences, the feminist movement, in Japan in the 70s, as well as in context of popular social philosophies on the nature and relationships between men and women of the time and how the film embraces and deconstructs these competing influences in different respects. That does it for my Annie film shoutouts, but to return to themes of love and grief, I want to share Kate Sanchez's essay of Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, where she relates her own personal struggle, grappling with the debt of loved ones and processing her grief, exploring how grief stays with you for a long time and can be channeled in different ways as a powerful and transformative emotion, and how that's reflected in Yuka's character arc in the film, and Rika as a symbol and manifestation of his grief, and how he's able to move on from seeing Rika's curse form as a symbol of the guilt he feels over her debt, to embracing her and accepting that she is the person he loves, and offering his own life to her in an act of pure love for both her and the friends he's trying to save. Kate's piece is a really great analysis of Yuka's arc, it's one of processing grief and how she related with it because of her own experiences and how it helped her understand and contextualize how she was processing her own grief and the person's own ability to take power over their relationship with grief and take it from something they feel wholly negative about into something healing and transformative and powerful. And Kate Elvis has really insightful perspectives on complicated emotions and relationships in manga, and you can hear discuss even more thoughts in the film. In our recent discussion of it, we had with her and Sam Leach as a bonus spot on our Manga Matters Patreon. Moving back to manga and the power of self-published works, Adam Siumstuk wrote a great piece about the history and development of the doujinshi scene and how the format has evolved and given marginalized voices even more creative freedom and ability to find an audience outside of traditional publications, bridging the gap between an artist and their audience, Adam's profile includes interviews with Matt Hosh and the team behind Iridori Comics about their thoughts on the value of the Dijinji format, discussing it as a breeding ground and free space for developing artists, and how Iridori, as a publisher, seeks to connect artists to audiences and spotlight diversity in the space and promote to support artists financially directly. Adam's piece is a great profile of the Dijinji scene, and the message about the versatility and creativity found in the medium that the two Biggest indie publishers are trying to convey through the works they localize. Moving from articles to videos, I have two I want to share that are in the same vein of exploring the nature of love and relationships, like Cobby's Wandering Warrior. The first is Jaden Animation's recent coming out video about being out ace, where she explores her personal history trying to understand romantic attraction from childhood all the way through her adulthood, and her frustrations at not being able to feel the same way as other people, not realizing until recently that she just doesn't feel love and sexual attraction as an air-race person, finding empowerment and self-validation in her newfound identity, and wanting to create a video to share awareness and help others who may be navigating similar feelings and frustrations. So a lot of Jaden Spurses have crossover with copies own realizations and frustrations about she understood and perceived romantic love in the book, and even includes an anecdote about realizing one day, while listening to a love song, that these are emotions that people actually fear and aren't just fantasies, which is really strikingly similar to Koby's own realization after hearing a love song in the manga. And Jaden's animation is incredibly funny and creative, and her story is a poignantly told one of self-discovery and validation of finding happiness outside of the social context of. What is considered normal in terms of the romantic, and sexual interests in one's life? And I think it's an entertaining and enlightening watch if you're also navigating similar feelings about understanding how you process and understand your own feelings about relationships, romance, and sexual attraction. The second video I want to shout out, and my last shout out for this podcast, is Wisecry's recent video on the philosophy of polyamory, which focuses on the history of monogamy as a social construct and the waves in which polyamory has been explored and popularized and the advantages and disadvantages of both forms of relationships socially. What's particularly valuable about this video is how it takes a look at how ideas of romance and relationships have evolved and developed philosophically, politically, and socially over time, and how our modern ideas of romance are actually not as old as we may think, and that our understanding of what a healthy relationship between people can look like has also evolved over time, and is continuing to evolve as more people come to new understandings of their own sexualities and... The types of love they find fulfilling in their relationships with other individuals and with other communities of people, and with themselves and for themselves, which I think falls in line with copy's own navigation of these ideas of love and relationships, what they mean to her, culminating in the realization that she wants to understand how to love herself better before romantically loving someone else. That does it for my shoutouts for other folks and stuff, but I do have a few personal projects that I've been involved in that I want to mention before we close out. First, I once again guested on the My Hero Academia podcast to discuss the most recent chapters of Vigilantes, and had a lot of fun discussing the climax of the fight with Six and the compelling parallels drawn between Six and Koichi, as well as some supremely cool moments involving All Might and Endeavor, as well as best genus Sexy Back bringing Sexy Back. It is always a ton of fun talking MJ with Kendra, James, and the rest of the team, and I want to congratulate them for reaching their 200th episode, which they'll be celebrating next week with a fun tribute show hosted by Sandra, perhaps one of the most knowledgeable MJ superfans in the community, and it's sure to be a plus ultra treat to listen to. My last shout out is not anime or manga related, but it's in the same vein of Copy's work, I feel, as a project. That transform personal trauma into compassionate outreach and spreading awareness of an important issue. In this case, distracted driving. The Shreya Dixit Memorial Foundation is a Minnesota-based nonprofit organization that promotes awareness of the dangers of distracted driving and advocates for living a distraction-free lifestyle. The Foundation takes its name from Shreya Dixit, the late daughter of our founder, Vijay Dixit who is tragically killed in a car accident caused by someone else's distracted driving. In the aftermath of her death, Mr. Shit dedicated his life to spreading awareness of distracted driving to help young drivers in particular avoid falling into its trappings and its tragic consequences. And the Foundation's internship program is another expression of its desire to help young people grow and prosper. Both personally and professionally. I am proud to be rejoining the Foundation as their video visual committee leader for their summer internship program this year. Our Video Visual Committee focuses on making PSA videos and illustrations for the Foundation, helping promote awareness again of distracted driving and promoting ways to live life distraction free. It's a lot of fun. We've made a lot of really cool projects last year and I've been blessed to work with a really wonderful team of creative video editors and illustrators. So it is just a blast to come up with new ideas and communicating the message, getting it out there. I've made a lot of cool projects myself, including for Foundation. I've really enjoyed my relationship with them and being a part of their community. I joined them two years ago. I am now in a leadership role there. And I'm happy to do apply my background in video editing and animation to make some wonderful videos and artwork with a really talented team of budding filmmakers and video editors. And this year's video visual committee will also have a really incredible opportunity to learn video production skills hands-on through automatic enrollment in the Horror High training camp hosted by the IPR College of Creative Arts, in which students will be walked through all aspects of the production of a short horror film. That will be screened at film festivals nationwide by the Edu Film Fest, which is really cool. So if you are a high school or college student, particularly one living in Minnesota, interested in making fun videos for an important cause and getting paid for it and having a really valuable learning, educational experience, learning the ropes of all aspects of filmmaking, video production will definitely apply to our internship program this year. Our deadline closes on April 10th, so just about a week left, so make sure to apply as soon as you can, and if you apply and you are accepted, I would love and am looking forward to working alongside you this year on a ton of cool and really meaningful projects. And that draws my community shoutouts for this podcast to a a lot of thematically linked pieces that I want to profile this time and ones that I hope will provide valuable reading and listening material for you guys whether they serve as fruitful food of thought and fuel for further self-reflection or simply as entertaining, thought-provoking explorations of interesting stories, themes, and ideas. And with those shout-outs, out shout-out, I want to once again thank Erica for joining us on the show, warrior of the community as she is. And look forward to having her on, wander back into our existences and our lives and our podcast again in the future. But until that point, we are going to leave our listeners' with where you can find us if you are also wandering about on the internet
0: and hope to seek us out. All right. But yeah, I guess until the next episode of the podcast, we can start with you. Uh, As always, Lum, where can the people find you?
1: You can find me as L- at Lum LomRamiyasha on Twitter and as Lum Rash on a variety of places on the internet than I am. And I'm sure Revelation Annie List Letterboxd. You can find me there by that name. You can also read my reviews on MungRamiyasha.com. We've got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews coming out. I look forward to more on there. That's what you can find the other podcasts I do. Lum Squad, the UFC Officer focused podcast I do with my good friend Andrew AC Yoshimura. We're going to the wonderful and wacky world. We will go talk Aji's classic comedy sci-fi manga, Yurusi Aksara. And we are having a lot of fun going through his releases of the manga as they've been coming out. Catching up on those. We're excited to talk more about the movies as they have become made available. Streaming on Crunchyroll and on Blu-ray through Disco Tech. And, of course, with the upcoming new anime on the horizon, there is just so much to talk about. About the world of Yurza Yatsura, About the series of Mugura And we are just so excited to talk about it. We just have so many ideas. So, look forward to more episodes of Lump Squad. You can find us on Twitter, at Lump Squad. And YouTube, you can find our channel name just by searching for it. And, of course, we're on every podcast platform you can think of, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, and of course, we publish episodes in the MongoRads podcast feed itself, and early on the Arts Patreon, if you want an extra incentive to check out our Patreon. But if you also like the art I do for our shows, the illustrations and thumbnails I do, or the illustrations and animations I make in general, you can find that stuff on my Instagram, at SiddharpWorks.
0: All right, but as for me, I'm Colton. You could find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts outside of this one that you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Basically, go to my personal blog there, click on the podcast page, and you'll basically find every podcast I'm doing at the moment, including, you know, podcasts I'm not involved in anymore, but I still feel the need to link to anyway as well as, you know, all the other guest spots I've done on a bunch of other shows over the past couple years. Basically, you can find everything that I'm doing and have done, again, over at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. But as for Manga Mavericks, you can find every episode at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where at the $2 tier in particular, you will have the chance to listen to select episodes of the podcast, Basically, if we happen to have an episode of the podcast edited before it's set to come out on our main feed, we will put it up on our Patreon first. But that also depends on uh, you know what we have done at a given moment, and you know what what we have ready to upload and everything really depends on our schedules and everything. So if you want more reliable content, you should sign up for our five dollar tier. We're over there. You'll get a new bonus podcast at the end of every month. The latest bonus podcast you can listen to. Should be, I believe it might be out by the time we put this episode up. Is our Jujutsu Kaisen review, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero review that we did with our good friends Kate and uh, Sam Leach. We talked about uh, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, the latest big anime movie, and yeah, that was a fun conversation. And uh, yeah, if you want to hear us talk about that in particular, that's at our Patreon right now, again at the $5 tier or it should be, you know, soon after this episode comes up, I should say. But, you know, you can listen to so many other cool bonus podcasts on our Patreon, once again, at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. And basically signing for Patreon is like the best way for you guys to support us and helps us keep the lights on, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And, you know, we just appreciate your patronage. Again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. But as for everything else, you can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mavericks, where we post different excerpts of the podcast, including some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, youtube.com slash mavericks. Subscribe to us. You know, email us anything at mavericks at gmail.com. Do you have any thoughts on Nagata Kabi's works? Do you have any thoughts on uh, manga in general? What are you reading? What are you reading that you want us to talk about on the show? You know, email us anything about manga, the podcast, you know, mostly anything, you know, we'll read them on the show. We love getting emails from you guys. Again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Please send us those emails. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on a bunch of different platforms at this point, but especially on Apple Podcasts and even, you know, places like Spotify, leaving us a rating and a review really helps the visibility of our show. And we just love getting feedback from you guys in general. You know, whatever feedback you send us, positive or negative, uh, we really take that seriously because we want to use whatever feedback we get to help make the show that much better. But, yeah, that's going to be about it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to uh, this episode of the podcast. This has been episode 195 of the Manga Barks podcast. We'll see you guys next time for episode 196. Bye, guys. Sayonara!